Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 310, recorded December 8th, 2019. Today we're doing a Captain Special. So we're going to do a Captain Picard single issue and a Captain Saru single issue. The early parts of each Captain's career. Yeah, and these are fairly new issues. They both came out in 2019, so good stuff so far. It is good stuff. Well, I mean, they're a one-shot, so I guess that's it. One and done. Yeah, one and done. The first one, which I have the pleasure of doing, is the one with Captain Picard on the Stargazer early in his career. And it's the artwork is J.K. Woodward. So one of your favorites, Donovan. Gotta love it. Yep. I love it. And written by Peter David. Don't forget that part. Uh, you ain't kidding. Talk about a really good duo to produce something. Because this is a relatively short book because they take up a lot of space at the end of the book with, uh, like, an ash can kind of thing for a Discovery comic. But there's a lot of cool things going on in here. And and, and I, I think it's a good story, although a little short. And the artwork, though not my favorite, I think they did an excellent job. Again, oh, yeah. again, Woodward does an excellent job. Lots of good spraying blood. This one does have a lot of blood, you're right. Yeah. it's It's gritty. This is a gritty issue. So, right. uh, and, and I, I like it. It's, it's a good one. Then the second one talks about what happened between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. Well, actually, it's kind of what happened at the end of episode, uh, the last episode of season one, but before yeah. that final, before that final shot where they fi- bump up against the Enterprise. So what happened oh, hmm. after the events, but before they go off and save the Enterprise. So, yeah, of Discovery. Uh, okay, uh, before they take on, yeah, before they take on uh, Pike as captain. Right. And, and go off and do uh, season two. Okay. Right. I, did, I didn't want to just say at the end of season one, because technically the end of season one ends with the cliffhanger where they go and meet up with the Enterprise. So exactly, right. It, it happens right before that. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So. Sounds good. But it's good. It's good. Yeah, and I don't remember there being a chunk of time between there, but obviously, yes. I guess I would have to go back and watch it again. You would think, but, you would think there would have to be since the Discovery was beat up pretty bad. Right. Um, well, heck, the whole Federation was beat up pretty bad. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. So you said you wanted to do the first one? I'll do the first one, which is Captain Picard. Okay. This one is... An IDW 2020 issue. So apparently for their anniversary, they've got one-offs for their big franchise comics, of which Star Trek is one of them. And uh, they've chosen to do uh, a story from the early days of Captain Picard and his captaincy on the Stargazer. So this is great. January... So just, hey... Hold on one second. Okay. Just to give you a little background on this ID2020 thing. Sure. So it's the IDW's 20th anniversary, Mm -hmm. and to celebrate that, they took six – no, five five of their storylines, and they either did 20 years in the future or 20 years in the past from what we mainly know that franchise. So for Ghostbusters, it was 20 years in the future. Hmm. Uh, So it's 20 years after the events of Ghostbusters 2. And then for IDW – uh, or for the Star Trek, it's 20 years before he becomes captain of the Enterprise D. So it's like at the beginning, 20 years before Encounter at Farpoint. So that that's their cool. mentality. Cool. Okay. I thought it was kind of, kind of cool. That's interesting. It's a bit of a stretch, quite frankly, it seems like. But um, okay, cool. And it has right. nothing to do with vision. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Or the year. Or, you know, uh, or the year. Or anything. Is 2020. It is, yeah. Okay, All right. so uh, as as was mentioned, the writer is Peter David. Gotta love that. Art is all by J.K. Woodward. Letterer is Gilberto Lazcano. Edits are by Denton Tipton and Chase Marotes. 
there's only one cover I could find. I assume there's only one. And this features a young Captain Picard and Jack Crusher. They're both in Wrath of Khan Starfleet red uniforms, and they're, oddly enough, using next-gen Season 2 phasers, and they're both firing at something. They are standing on a rocky planet with the Stargazer NCC-2893 above them. And the cover, of course, is by J.K. Woodward. Picard is lying against some rocky rubble, almost as if he is slowly becoming a part of it. He has blood on his tunic and a bashed and bruised face. A rough alien voice brings Dr. Beverly Howard to the injured captain. A young doctor begins treating the semi-conscious captain against his protests, saying, I ordered no crew members to be risked to save me. The good doctor says, I am not part of your crew. Cut to the past on the Stargazer, where Picard recently met the lovely Dr. Howard. Picard's number one, Jack Crusher, brought her on board, seeing as she is his fiancée, and their recent orders will take Beverly close enough to where she needs to go that hitching a subsequent ride to Starfleet should be easy. Also, it gives them some time to be together. Unfortunately, Picard's orders have changed, and Beverly will have to be a passenger longer than she and Jack counted on. Picard could have told Jack all this before if he would have followed regulations and asked Picard for permission first. Despite being the best of friends, Picard is not happy with Jack for this breach of protocol and shows it when he meets the future Dr. Crusher. Picard informs Dr. Crusher that she will be with him longer than she planned and because she is a guest and not a member of the crew, he wants her to stay in her quarters while she is aboard. With an icy tone of voice, Beverly acknowledges the situation. As Picard asks her to enjoy her stay, he turns to go about his duties. Beverly tells Jack he's got some splaining to do. The change of orders diverted the Stargazer to planet Telerax 4, where a recently admitted member of the Federation is having a spot of bother over a smidge of a civil war brewing. The planet's current leader is called Sensate, and his brother, Aminus, objects to him being in power. Picard says he is beaming down to see what he can do about smoothing things over with the brothers and head off a civil war on a member planet of the Federation. Jack tries and fails to get Picard to stay on the ship while he beams down in his place. The inexperienced captain says he will do it and bring a security detail down with him to make his first officer feel better. Crusher takes the con. Later, Picard is at a reception in the outside gardens of the Sensate's villa. There, conversation gets awkward when the Sensate asks if Picard got his captaincy by killing the previous captain. The awkward conversation ends when Brother Aminus shows up by blasting through the outside garden wall. Picard moves to protect the Sensate and ends up taking a large caliber bullet to the upper chest. The two red shirts spring into action, raising their Wrath of Khan phasers, but both are cut down by the projectile weapons that are firing before they can even call for an emergency beam out. The Sensate is taken away to safety, but Picard is left to be taken by the evil brother Aminus. Picard's com badge is taken and crushed making tracking him impossible with the sensor-jamming measures taken by the terrorists. On the Enterprise, temporary Captain Jack is made aware of the situation and eventually takes a call from Bro Aminus. Aminus wants all the phasers on board the Stargazer, or he will kill Picard. Picard is able to tell Jack to not risk any more of his crew saving him before he takes a savage rifle butt to the head. Abinus tells Jack he can send one person down from the ship to care for the captain, but they must be unarmed and no comms. Jack realizes who he must send to help Picard, but he is not happy about it. Shortly, Dr. Beverly Howard beams down alone to help Picard. A lackey orders Beverly to strip so he can confirm she has no communications device. She says no and puts her forehead to the business end of the massive rifle. The lackey backs down and takes her to Picard. Beverly begins treating Picard, 
But before long, Beverly takes out the comm badge that she cleverly hid in her clothes. Before they use it to transmit their position to the ship and beam out, Aminus himself comes up and asks what they are whispering about. Picard tosses Aminus a gift wrapped in a bag that turns out to be the comm badge. Aminus transports up to the ship and is put under arrest. Picard tells the lackeys to drop their weapons or their leader will be killed, as will they in short order. After some convincing talking from Picard, they drop their weapons. Later on, on the Stargazer, Picard is feeling better and gives Beverly his thanks. He goes on to say he likes the sound of Dr. Crusher better than Dr. Howard, and then he talks Jack and Beverly into letting him marry them in the ship's chapel, not much later. You may kiss the bride. The end. So, after all these years, I never knew that Picard actually married the two together. I did not know he that He performed either. the ceremony. He performed the ceremony. And then he ends up marrying her later it's, and killing the other one, man. So, it's like... Well, wait, hold on. Let's, let's get the order right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, wrong, the order's wrong. But still, just saying, he really was involved in that marriage. Uh, in yeah. every aspect. Yeah. Also, what's the deal with Picard's face? The look. So when when he first turns to see Beverly coming out of the room, he has a specific look on his face, and J.K. Woodward frames it in a tiny little extra little window, a little panel. So what's the look on his face for? What, how do you interpret that? Annoyance. Well, Annoyance that she's there. Well, that would make sense. That would make a lot of sense, but but the look on his face doesn't look like annoyance, does it? Well, no, I guess it is annoyance. It did to me, but what, what but, were you thinking? Well, I don't know. I, I, I had a hard time translating it because he knows she's there. So, and he's already annoyed about it, and he's talking to Jack about it, so she, he knows she's there. So just because he sees her, what that, that triggers even more annoyance? I don't know. I guess. Uh, good point. Yeah. I didn't know whether they were trying to say something like, you know, his first initial visceral reaction was, oh, she's pretty hot. Uh, I better not do that. I better not think that. <laughs> uh, or whether it is just straight annoyance. But I... Uh, anyway. I guess the first time that Wesley was on the bridge, wasn't that encounter at Firepoint? Yeah. You know, and he was making the thing, no children on the bridge. You know, being kind of pissy. Uh, I guess he had a similar kind of look on his face, so maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what did you think of the de-aging uh, technique that they used here for uh, Beverly and Picard? Oh, Beverly. Oh, well, uh, I think Beverly looks thinner, so she kind of looks a little, a bit more youthful, uh, definitely physically. Uh, but her face, I mean, I see there's one panel in particular where you see her face. She doesn't look that much younger. No, she looks exactly the same to me. Yeah, yeah, and, and, Picard, and then Picard looks the same too. Just like, just like he just had the the wrinkles smoothed out and and a right, bad and wig. a toupee <laughs> and a bad wig. <laughs> yes, but he, but even he doesn't look that much younger. No, he looks like. Now looks I will like s- I will say that near the beginning when you see him, and then a little bit further on. When he, I think he's on the bridge. Yeah, he's on the bridge, and, and they're talking about the situation with the sensate, whatever. And he's gonna, br- and he gets kind of pissed with Jack, who's telling him, you know, don't go down. He looks a little younger in, in one of those panels, I think, mm. doesn't he? At least to me. But for most of the rest of the panels, he looks just normal with a toupee. Yeah, that's that's the way I thought it. Yeah. yeah. And if it was like, if you did think of it as a de aging thing, it's like the bad, like. Uh... X-Men 3 de-aging where it's just <laughs> this weird like just smoothing out of the wrinkles. Sure. As opposed to Michael Douglas in Ant-Man 1. Exactly. Which was, you know, that was a pretty good job. That was a pretty good job. Yeah, now they do it all the time. Even It 2, they de-aged all the little kids, so it's just like where did, where do you stop? What what what, what kids? In what, Ant-Man? It chapter 2? Or... No, It Chapter 2. They, oh, uh, it, it, they, it, uh, it, 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 yeah. They had to de-age all the kids. I've not who, seen that. Who had all hit 
puberty and got a lot older, and then suddenly now they're having to be little 13-year-olds again. <laughs> um, that's one of the things I should watch that movie for. I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, that's interesting yeah. that, they, that they would go to the bother. Um, I, I guess that is a problem. <laughs> well, how many years was between a couple years? Yeah, between a couple the, years. Between uh, the production? productions mm. yep yeah and some of them were like you know a foot taller than some of the other kids now because oh, right. they were faster than the other but they had to make them all look the same size again dig a ditch you or watch, put somebody on a box watch. or exactly that's what they had to do <laughs> <laughs> give it a watch it, it's but keep that in mind when you're watching it you'll probably notice right so was that a good movie it was all right. It was all right. Okay. Not as good as the first yeah. one. I don't think it was as good as the first one. Yeah. Okay. I, I had that impression. That's why I wasn't rushing to see it. Uh, how do you like the uh, the icy dialogue bubble when uh, Beverly yeah. says, I, you know, when she's first reacting to Picard telling oh. her the conditions of being on, on board the ship? I mean, I'm sure that's probably been done elsewhere, but I just thought that was great. Let me go back. Let me go back. Yeah, so uh, I don't see it. Oh, you don't see the little like oh, what, icicles at the bottom? Well, I don't know what page. Oh, oh, there it is. There, where it, she just says "I." Yes, exactly. Yeah, if you look oh, at okay. the bottom of the bubble, there's like little icicles forming. At yeah, least I, that's yeah. that's how I interpret it, anyway. Yeah, no, that that's been done a lot. Okay, maybe not in Star Trek, but definitely right. that's definitely in comic a comic book bubble. Cool, cool. Okay, it's the first time I'd seen it. I, I liked it. I thought that was kind of cool. So, what'd you think of the alien dudes? I thought they were. I like the design. I like the design quite a bit. So they have like fleshy beards. Is that how you would take that? I guess stuff? so. Or Which tentacles, almost tentacles. They're like little tentacles, and of course, you can see their nostrils big time. You know, almost like a skeleton kind of thing, or whatever, or maybe like an extreme pig nose, even further, kind of like push back on the face, right. So you have the two nostrils very prominent. And they're really tall. Yeah, I, I, I like the emotions he's given these guys. Because they don't... Especially the commandos. When they come in, I thought, I thought that was really good. Isn't that great? So they're in there, so these guys are all jazzed up and juiced up because they're going to, you know, they know they're going to do a commando raid or something. So they're emotional, and you can see the look on their faces are pretty good. And the looks on the uh, two red shirts, and well, everybody's a red shirt. Uh, with these uniforms, but but the two security guys getting just blasted, uh, you know. Yeah, they both take a shot in the chest. Yeah, and you see a little bloody like, for, uh, yeah. for a stomach. Yeah, like a red brown kind of thing. So it's not extremely red, but um, yeah. So there's guys behind them uh, shooting projectile weapons. How old fashioned, but effective. Yeah, it works. It does work. And I like the looks on their faces too. So on the on the guards, they're pretty good. Speaking of looks on faces, what about the next page? The uh, the Vulcan that's that has the the black beard. Oh, I didn't notice him before. Yeah, he uh, he just looks like he can't be bothered. He's just in there with <laughs> like a, a a dumb grin on his face. <laughs> it's like, hey man, I'm here. Exactly. It looks like he had a joint a little while ago. Exactly. And it's just like like calm. Yeah, and his so he's got the same spot cut. Yeah, well he's he's got the traditional Mo Howard. The, the Mo Howard, yeah. Um, and but he's got a beard like the new, but a little thinner than the new Spock did in Discovery. Uh, where'd they get the face from? That face looks familiar. I mean, it's really it it's really kind of Spockish. I mean, Leonard Nimoy ish. But not quite. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So isn't it good that uh, they didn't strip Beverly after all? Oh, yes. Yes. And yeah, she, she was bringing... She really was hiding something in her book. She really was. She was being quite gutsy. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, she's not going to let herself be stripped down. But I, I did not realize that she had the comm badge on her. And by the way, I didn't know... Okay, I'm 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 going to be embarrassed about this if I'm wrong, but because I really should have remembered this. But in Wrath of Khan, they didn't have their com badges in their uniforms yet, right? That's a next gen thing. 
it's a next gen thing, but it was introduced during uh, Rachel Garrett's command of the Enterprise C, which oh. would be about the time this this takes place. So okay, okay. And, so and, and there in in those versions, they had the Wrath of Khan Outfits. uniforms, yeah, but yeah. with uh, with the the com badges on their chests. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because the motion picture never had that. Right. Although they had nope. the same uniforms. So, yeah. uh, okay. That's cool. Um, another thing, let's, let's just talk, let's go on that same thread. Things that are kind of mixed in, that look kind of odd or might be cool. The con has the Star Trek The Motion Picture child guards. <laughs> so, so the side armrests come down uh, to clamp on the uh, thighs. Oh, the thighs, yeah. So I thought that was interesting seeing that. So they brought that over. I always liked that. I always liked seeing Kirk do that, and then he had that little computer screen there on his on his legs. Right. I always thought that was, that was but, a cool visual. Yeah. It also kind of makes sense that you'd have some kind of uh, something to hold you back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're the, I mean, you're you know, the only one with a seatbelt. Well, I know, but, I mean, at least uh, Sulu and Chekhov have the console in front of them. They kind of grab that or something. But, yeah, yeah. Even though... I think it's kind of hokey when they have the animated, like, helmets that pop up out of nowhere. Or in the case of Beyond, they had the seatbelts, shoulder restraints, popping up on the uh, Franklin. So I thought that was interesting, although it kind of made sense from an OSHA standpoint or something. It makes a lot of sense. But I I just, I just, how they just, just. Blop 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 blop. Just pop up out of nowhere and just. I, I always hate that. I, always, I think that's yeah, kind of lazy. It has to come from somewhere. Exactly, and, and they kind of did but, that with not Infinity War, but uh, the second one, uh, the Avengers thing, Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. So where they kept on changing. So they were in the the micro universe, whatever uniforms, which were very stylish, great. And then they get to their destination and just ping, it just magically changed to their normal uniforms. Right. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. I, okay, I know you guys want to keep the action moving along, but that's kind of that's lazy, right? Now the uh, and as far as the seatbelts thing go, that was the Nemesis too. So a Nemesis, oh, Nemesis at, at the end thing. of Nemesis when they're like repairing the Enterprise E, mm-hmm. um, they introduce seatbelts for the first time. No, oh. it's kind of it's kind of a joke at the end because you know they did just ram the she's on ship exactly. Uh, so then they're like, hey, next time we do it, we're going to have these cool things. And then that seatbelt appears over Picard's chest or something stupid. I can't remember yeah. exactly, but that was the first time in Star Trek I saw the, the magically appearing seatbelt. Yeah, which you shouldn't need if you really have inertial dampeners, but whatever. But we know they need it. We've seen enough Star Trek to see them falling around. <laughs> Hurl themselves, actors hurling themselves across a, a stationary bridge, yes. <laughs> But uh, but anyways, I I like seeing the stargazer. I think J.K. Woodward drew it quite nice. I think so too. I think so too. So towards the end, the security guys that pop up. So not not the guards that go with him originally, Picard originally. They're just in the normal uniforms. But at the end, when they start coming out of the bushes after they've put down their weapons, um, mm-hmm. they're in motion picture like football outfit security guy things right with the helmet right with the helmet the uh the shoulder guards i mean you know it's not you know it's not halo master chief outfits not by a long shot but definitely more than you know you normally see star trek uh people in right looks like laser tag uh exactly that's good (laughs) laser tag that's what it looks like but yeah they had that in what star trek six is that when they had it oh did well the motion picture had it the motion picture had that? Okay. Yeah. Well, I know so, that one of the later movies has it, too. Oh, they have that? They brought it back for that? Yeah. Okay. I um, was thinking that it was six when they're, like, going around trying to find the the boots or whatever, that uh, that the magnetic boots that were on the Klingon ship. I, I'm thinking well, that, that was, they showed some of those costumes. That was the Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is six, Yeah, right? they might have. They might have brought it back for that. But the first place I saw it was the motion picture. So, and I never, I don't remember seeing it again. But, uh, but that that that's cool how they brought some of the things back, you know, kind of setting the time period a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, and the two guards had Wrath of Khan phasers, so I thought that was good for setting the time period. 
Yet, if you, when they beam the brother, the evil brother, up to the transporter room, and there's like, there's, there's at least seven or six people in the transporter room armed. <laughs> okay. I mean, I didn't know they knew this, you know, this guy was going to beam up this guy, but I guess they were getting ready to beam down if they needed to. But right. nobody has a Wrath of Khan phaser. You know, the kind of flat, you know, the big old, like, type 1 phaser that it was on hormones or something with the handle on it. None of those guys have that. And I'm just looking at the phasers they're holding, and um, and there's an interesting variety of different designs. Yeah, I see three different ones, right? Um, well, it depends yeah, how you want to count quite, it, but... Quite different. Yeah, almost every one of them looks different. Almost. There are some that are pretty close to each other. Um, right. So, so on the left, the one that that person is holding kind of looks like a battle phaser that they use in Star Trek V. I think that Star Trek V is the first time they used a, a battle phaser. And then the one on the right, I don't know if you're in the same panel I'm looking at, but... Yeah. Um, Okay, okay. So if you look all the way on the right, so this is the one you can see best. So it's in the left hand of one of the guards, one of the uh, you know red shirt, like tactically outfitted guys. And that's an interesting phaser because I've never seen that phaser before. Um, and actually, I think the closest thing to that phaser, which still isn't quite it, is the um, Section 31 phaser they're using in Discovery. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. it Almost looks, organic looking. It kind of looks like that. But you notice how the muzzles kind of swept back on the bottom? That reminds me of the uh, Galaxy Quest phaser. Or whatever they call their their guns. Huh. I think they called them props. <laughs> because that was just a TV show. Um, but it turned out to be real later on. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, but still, that and that, I don't know, I, I just, just commenting. Yeah, I guess, no, I, looks... yeah, I, I think Woodward just like said, hey, screw it. Screw continuity. Let me, let me have some fun with these, these things I'm drawing. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fairly unexplored time frame, so we don't know what exactly they're right. more modern, what would be considered modern at that time. Exactly. And uh, modern in some ways, but also it's before Taws. So, or no, 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 it's after Taz. Right, after Taz, but before TV, next. yep. And about some somewhere around, is it past the movies? The, yeah, the Taz movies? Probably about 20 years after the movies. Oh, wow, 20 years after the movies. Okay, okay. If um, not more. How do you like the feet of the aliens? Now that uh, I'm on this particular page, you really can yeah. see the tread on the boot of the evil brother. And how each of his long toes has its own compartment in the, in the <laughs> exactly. shoe. So it's almost like a little bit like a, what, kind of a, a, I don't know, a weird hoof. I don't know, but uh, yeah, so he looks like he has two big toes. Two, two toes and that's it. Anyway. Or, yeah, or three. So that middle one is not, is that connected to the first one? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was thinking Maybe. that it was the three like individual ones. Each with their own little compartment. Oh, well, maybe. Well, they don't. What would be the there's only two compartments. There's only two compartments. Okay, so you're saying the first two are connected, and then the second two are connected. Uh, I'm figuring they got two toes, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Er- earlier it shows them, and they have, they have weird toes. Yeah, they have weird toes. So, interesting alien design. Weird design, period, because when those one guys give up, they look like ghosts. Like, they're long and wispy when their arms are hanging up, uh-huh. and it's just like, they don't even look like they're really there. Oh, it's right. Just the, I mean, I know it's the oh, art style yeah, 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 that, yeah, 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 that yeah, you, yeah. you yeah, don't right. like, but, uh, well, but yeah, they look almost like <clears throat> trees or something, I don't know. They don't look like humans or aliens. But yeah. But just because they're... they're so long and skinny. and Yeah. Yeah, they, they look like trees. You're right. Skinny, wispy trees with their hands up in the air. That's the one you're talking right. about, right? Right. Yeah. And they got really long fingers. Wow, look at that. But they do have... They've got four fingers and a thumb. Hmm. Yeah. And Beverly's dress is really nice. I, I thought she looked very pretty. But, oh. Uh, 
<laughs> I guess they replicated it there on the ship. They have replicators. Back oh, there. oh, her wedding dress. Her wedding dress. Yeah, yeah her wedding yeah. dress is lovely. And she is lovely in it. And she looks very skinny, young and skinny. And Picard and Crusher have kind of the dress, formal uniforms. Right. Or, we, or would you call that a long waistcoat? I don't know. But it, it goes down to their, like, their middle thighs. About. Right. So those, that's yeah, kind of it's interesting. It's a skirt. It's a man skirt. Man skirt. Man <laughs> dress. Uh, like uh, Cisco wore in, uh, in some episode of DS9. I forgot what it was. Well, all uh, their dress uniforms look like that. All throughout Next Generation timeline. Where they were kind of like long dresses. Or short well, dresses. Okay, when they got to the movies, they got cooler. Because yeah, definitely well, at, got, at Rikers. Everything got cooler in the movies. Yeah. Because I, th- I thought the white uniforms at Riker's wedding, uh, at Troy's wedding, was pretty cool. Those were pretty cool looking. Okay, cool. So, and oh, since we're on the page with the wedding thing, so it's almost, it is a full page, although there are some insets towards the bottom. But it shows the chapel, which is very pretty. And there are, on the left, there's three or four main big rectangle things. And then all the way to the left, there's a, there's a fifth. And I'm just, I mean, it, it's a source of light, which is like, like putting an ice glow in the chapel, which is very nice. But what is that exactly? Are those supposed to be like like hanging lamps? Or are they like transparent aluminum windows in the hull and they're close to a sun or something? Uh, I'm just, I was just curious about what it is. I thought they were just fluorescent light bulbs in the... Fluorescent in the light bulbs. Right, there you go. Yeah, it's, uh, it casts a nice light on things. That's good. Yep. That's all I have to say. Yep, me too. I enjoyed it a lot. I did too. But with it just being a single issue, you don't get a ton of story. Right. And but yeah, it was good. It seemed like the number of pages of story seemed shorter than normal also. Or did they just make it a bigger book because of the, the ash can at the end? It didn't count. Well, as far as like pages and story pages, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's 26 pages plus the cover, which is... A normal sized issue. Okay, it just so, seemed. I th- I it maybe just, just seemed fast. to go fast. Yeah, just well, seemed I mean, to go fast because it was so good. So much artwork. Mm-hmm. So much beautiful artwork. Mm-hmm. Can't have time for little bubbles. There you go. I don't know. Little icicle word bubbles. Yes. All right. Is. Well, you ready to ready to move on to some discovery? Let's do it. All right then. This came out. February of 2019. It is entitled Star Trek Discovery Captain Saru. I've also seen it listed as 2019 annual, so take that what you will. The uh, writer is Kristen Baer and Mike Johnson. Art by Angel Hernandez. Colors by J.L. Rio and Valentina Pinto. Letters by Christina Meisner. Editorial assists by Annie Perhintupa. Edits by Chase Marat, group editor Denton J. Tipton, and then we got two covers, not a a ton this time, just two. The first one is art by Paul Shipper. It just shows Burnham, Saru, Stimmons, Tilly, and then uh, I forget the, uh, the other two people's name. One is the cyborg girl, and the other one is the the girl that has, has the implants over one of her eyes. Unfortunately, I don't remember her name. And then we see the discovery in the background. And then the second cover is done by Angel Hernandez. And it kind of shows in the bottom right-hand corner, we see Tilly. And then we see a little discovery kind of like superimposed over her face to look kind of like a crosshair. And then in another bubble surrounding that one, we see Saru's face. This takes place shortly after the events of Season 1, but before the very last scene where they bump up against the Enterprise. So this is during the downtime when the Discovery is being repaired after the uh, events with the Mirror Universe and the Klingons and everything. So uh, the Discovery is in Tridoc and on Earth in Paris, France at the Louvre. Saru and Michael look around at the Arctic. 
and discuss dreams. So Saru's been having a dream where he dreams that the ship is propelled by blueberries instead of uh, spores. And throughout conversation, we learn that most of the crew is away on leave while the Discovery is being repaired. And they also discuss who's going to be the captain of the ship going forward. Saru thinks that he's not quite ready, but Michael thinks that uh, it should probably be him. Later, back on the Discovery, which is still in dry dock, uh, Saru is visited by Admiral Cornwell. She informs him that he is to take the Discovery to investigate the disappearance of the USS Dorothy Garrett. Saru informs her that the crew is at a skeleton crew status, since most of the crew is still away, including Tilly, who's actually aboard the Dorothy Goddard. Coincidences of coincidences. Cornwell knows this, and she tells him that uh, this is going to be a way to prove that he can be a captain. So later, the Discovery arrives at the Migratory Pocket Nebula, which uh, is where they found the Garrid. The ship is nearly lifeless with only seven life signs aboard and very little power. They are contacted by Tilly herself, who at first says everything's fine. Why are you even here? Nothing to worry about. And then quickly she says, it's a trap, shortly before being cut off. And then all life signs aboard the ship vanish. Saru has a away team beamed over to investigate. The away team is quickly ambushed by some unknown pirates and captured. Later, a hologram of an Orion captain appears on the bridge of the Discovery. She tells Saru that she will trade the captives plus the Garrod for the Discovery herself. Meanwhile, on the hidden Orion ship, which is inside this nebula, Michael and her away team are thrown into the same cell as the Garrod crew and Tilly. Later, the pirate captain contacts Saru via normal communications this time to get his answer. Saru agrees to have the entire crew of the Discovery beam over to the Garrod, and he will relinquish command of the Discovery to her. This happens, and the pirates beam aboard the Discovery to claim their prize. As they go throughout the ship, a hidden Saru picks off the crew one by one, and he hides around in the air ducts, getting from place to place. And he's thinking to himself that only the greatest captains would know every inch of their ships and blah, 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 blah. So the pirate captain contacts Saru via comms once she realizes that uh, her crew is getting picked off. And she tells him that she's going to destroy the Garrod. Saru says that he's already reprogrammed the phasers on the Discovery to lock on to the hidden pirate ship only. At an impasse, the pirates are then beamed back to their own ship empty-handed. Later on Earth, Saru and Michael enjoy a real meal in the Paris uh, streets. They discuss that neither of them are going to be the captain of the Discovery and that Starfleet already knew that before they sent Saru out to prove himself. But Michael says that Saru did a great job and that he will someday be captain. The end. Captain Saru. Or should I say John McClane? Or should I say Charles freaking Bronson? He is cleaning Uh house. I definitely get the John McClane thing with all the air duct work. but uh, Yeah, and taking out the terrorists, no problem. One by one. There yep. you go. And then just Charles Bronson because of how awesomely he's doing it. I mean, he's cracking together guys' heads, you know. I mean, these Orions are pretty big-looking guys. I mean, they don't have any shirts on, and they're all muscular, and they're, they got their big, huge rifles and stuff. And Saru is kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, he is. Yes, he is, which is pretty impressive. And he does take out a few of them with traps and stuff that I didn't quite mention, that he somehow got the uh, the pods in the, the spore room to knock them out somehow. I, yeah, I didn't quite get figure that. out how he did that. Yeah, I don't know what that was. But yeah, I mean, it was all to show how well he knew the ship, and he could use any little thing on the ship for his advantage. Right, and then he had the, what, the Klingon holograms to distract them. So then he could go and knock their heads together. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now, why he just stayed behind himself and didn't have, like, other people, like other security people to help take care of the situation instead of having the whole burden on his shoulders, that maybe wasn't the smartest thing in the world. But, okay, fine. 
Well, and why would the very first thing that the uh, Orion captain do is scan, scan the, the ship. ship to make exactly. sure there's no other lives before scan the, the ship. even before CPM Dover? Yep. Yeah, I mean that that did not make sense. No. Is that all you have to do? <laughs> it's it's a little bit like the last issue where Beverly just had the com badge, like kidding in her clothes. Um, right. It's like okay, that's cool, but oh boy, that's that's a simple solution. Not sure that others would fall for it, but right. Well, at least in that one, they kind of acknowledged it that yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 terrorists thought that that could have been a thing. You know, you could have it hidden. That's why we want you to strip down. Exactly right. Uh, but she was so bold and got that she gutsy. Just, uh, yeah, she just like, oh, you you're gonna have to shoot me then, and you're gonna have to explain. I mean, yeah. I like that. Whereas here, they don't even explain why she didn't scan yeah. the ship before she beamed. Yeah, except that she was sloppy and just assumed he was going to say. That's one of the things I don't like about Star Trek is that you have too much, too much technology where you can just at a press of the button and you're like, oh, there's only seven life forms aboard the whole ship and blah blah blah. And it's just like eh, that kind of takes away some of the mystery of you know stowaways and things like that. Right. Of course, the fact that you've got a transporter can pull anybody out of a problem or beam somebody into resolving a problem. Those are the kind of things you need to make sure doesn't work when the story wants would be better if it wouldn't work. Exactly. And you'd forget about having shuttles aboard the ship. Uh, (laughs) Oh, hey, you guys got shuttles, don't you? Why don't you just use a shuttle? Okay, fine. They're not going to acknowledge it. I think there was a Taws episode that did that. Yes, so bottom line is your technology will be ignored or be explained somehow why you can't use it. Right. Or you just don't. Handy. Yeah, exactly. Just If we don't acknowledge it, then that means that, uh, that, no that you're, not suppo- you're not supposed to think of it either. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of acknowledging, I thought you would really like that they made two nods to the Discovery novels. Oh yeah, in this, they did in this story. So no, I uh, didn't. I didn't read the other one. The, so the way one, of the stars. The yeah, that one. Tilly I, ha- one. I haven't read the Tilly one yet. Yeah, so I guess that one deals with her being growing up on the Garrett. Right. And then the other story that they referenced was the Saru one, which was what was the title of that one? Um, I don't recall, but yeah, Burnham mentions how he stood up to these. Aliens as part of that that story. Yep. Uh, that one's called Fear Itself. There you go. Which, so speaking of which... Was, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I just you, thought you it finish. was funny that of the, of the novels that were released so far, I've only read one and mm-hmm. half of another one. Mm-hmm. And I have not read either one of these two. And yet, these are the two that get referenced and the, the ones that I've read or halfway read. I, I don't see how that... I, definitely the first one, the one with Spock and Pike and mm-hmm. everybody aboard the right. George George O's ship. Sure, I mean that can't even be canon anymore because Burnham and Spock's relationship is completely different than what it is in season two, from what we see in the flashbacks and in the, the current time. That yeah. that if, that book could not have happened the way it was written back when that book came out. So yeah, well you're not supposed to think about that. Yeah, well I, I think you're not about to it. Think it. I, just 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 go with it. Just don't think just, about that. So I understand why they didn't ever reference that story in this book, in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continuity errors do abound uh, here but and there. But aren't they all written by the same woman, Kristen Beyer? Did she write all the Star Trek Discovery novels so far? I don't know. I know she's been Kristen Beyer has been involved in a lot of Discovery material. Right. Uh, some of the some of the novels, uh, episodes of the series, comic books. Yeah, she is really in there. Yeah, right. I would. I would well, have I think, to, I'd have to pull up the books to to confirm, but yeah, I I think she wrote at least one of them. Novels. Yeah, I was thinking she wrote that uh, that the one that I read, the one with Spock and Pike. Right. Yeah, I know that she's like the expanded universe source. She holds all the keys to Discovery for expanded universe and stuff. Make sure that everything fits. Gels. Yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely somebody you need. Some, something that they didn't have before with old Star Trek, where every well, every publisher could just do whatever the hell they wanted to. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Because Okuda, Okuda used to be the continuity guy on Next Gen. But, uh, yeah, somebody who's across the entire... I, I, I think they might have had something like that on and off. How good a job they did, I don't know, but maybe not that good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so Desperate Hours was actually David Mack wrote that one. Is that the first one? That's the... F- I think, no, no, yeah. that was the second one. Uh, I thought that was the first one. I thought that Desperate Hours was the one with Spock and Burnham uh, okay, working together, okay. I think. Yeah. And then Drastic and then Measures. That's was, the Pike. That's the, no, that's the... What's his name? The Oh, that's the one that went back in time, right? Yeah. And did the uh, Kodos the Executioner? Exactly. Yep, right, right. So that was by Dayton Ward. And then Fear Itself was by James Swallow. Oh, okay. And then the Enterprise War was by John Jackson Miller. Hmm. Okay, so she hasn't written any of those. No, but she's written for just about every other form that Discovery comes in. Right. Right. And I know that she was kind of in charge of when they did some post-Voyager series. She she wrote quite a few of those. Novel... Novels and things. Oh, okay. For, gotcha. For post Voyager, so okay. she she's been involved. With oh, Star involved. Trek. Yeah, involved with Star. Yes, definitely, definitely. Did she write that one about Captain Una? Or, well, I, I don't want to get. I don't want to go down that path. But uh, <laughs> yeah, she she's written a lot of good things. Right. So. Now, well, how'd you like the story? I mean, Die Hard on a ship. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, my I only, thought it was fine. My, it was like, I, I liked it. It was, it yeah, was go fine. Ahead. I don't think it was good as you know the previous story. Uh, previous but... story today, the, the Picard one. Yeah, with by yeah. David uh, Gerald or no, that Gerald. Uh, Peter David. Peter David. That's it. Peter David. Yeah. Yeah. Peter David's really good. Yeah. He's uh, quite amazing. Written in so many different franchises, he just comes up with new stuff that's typically pretty good. Can I talk about the Dorothy Garrod? Yeah, please do, because I don't know anything about it. Oh, I didn't know anything about this until this book, because uh, I hadn't okay. read the, the Tilly one yet, the Tilly novel. What do you think about the ship design? I mean, it kind of looks like Reliant a little bit. Mm, I mean, as far as having... Reliant. A, well, I guess not really Reliant. Like an upside-down Reliant, because the, the way the saucer section connects to the hull almost. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird. It's... um. Uh, the thing that came to my mind is it's amazing how creative these people are that, that design all these ships, how they reorganize a few basic pieces, the saucer section, the engineering secondary hull, and one to four warp nacelles. And they just mix and match these bits and come up with new ships. Right. And this is one of the more weird configurations <laughs> I've ever seen. And the nacelles are really weird because they don't match anything we've ever seen before. Because they almost look like they have like long spikes coming out the back. Yeah, Which... yeah, yeah. Do you know what struck me as similar? Uh, remember the stealth ships they used in season two of Discovery that Section Thirty One used? Remember those black ships? Yeah, I don't. I'm not remembering exactly what they look like. Okay, well, if you look it up. The way the nacelles are set up is a little like those stealth ships. And the pylons, as they're coming down, is a little bit like the stealth ships, the Section 31 stealth ships. Now, the rest of the okay. ship looks nothing like the Garrod. But the nacelles a little bit, and then the pylons a little bit. Okay. But other than that, this was a, an interesting new new shape. And I agree with the engines. They're, they're, they're a little different. They're different. But the engineering section and the... And the bottom part of the pylons, I guess you would call it, I don't know, kind of match the Discovery a little bit, where it's like a giant triangle with the engineering oh. in the middle. Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. But it's got a roughly cylindrical secondary hull. Right, yeah. So, and and it's like those delta-shaped bits really almost, I mean, it's almost more like a really oddly shaped nacelle pylons. Right. I don't think they actually have any anything in there 
in in those delta shaped things. They almost look like a wing. Yeah, a wing. It right. looks like a wing. It looks like a wing. And it's hard to tell from the we only see it once, I think. I think we only see it once. And it almost looks is is the the neck connecting the secondary hull to the primary hull. Is it actually backwards? I mean from a standpoint of being angled? You know, you know how they how they tend to be Oh yeah. It almost looks like it's kind of like backwards, so that maybe the secondary hull is further forward than the primary hull. I don't know. Yeah, it, it looks like it is. Yeah, it's very odd. Anyway, yep. so Dorothy Garrod, this must have been named after somebody. So I did a quick search, and <laughs> the only hit I really came up with was Dorothy Annie Elizabeth Garrod. Garrod who was an English archaeologist who specialized in the Paleolithic period, and she held the position of Disney Professor of Archaeology at the University of Cambridge from 1939 to 1952. And she was the first woman to hold an Oxbridge chair. Hmm. So, okay. This is a science ship. I guess that makes sense. You name it after a scientist. Okay. I thought it was fascinating that she's a Disney professor of archaeology, which is like, what the heck? That has not that can't have anything to do with, with you know, the entertainment company. And right. uh, indeed, so I went and did another search because I just need to know these things. Yeah, good. So the Disney professorship of archaeology is an endowed chair in archaeology at the University of Cambridge. It was endowed by John Disney in 1951. With a donation of, well, he he donated money. Anyway, so it has nothing like to 50s. do with Disney, the the corporation. No, apparently, yes, correct. Apparently, Disney is not as unusual a name as I might have previously thought. <laughs> All right, because I never heard that. I mean, it was a guy's name, Disney. That's a guy's name. Okay. Yeah. I just here. didn't. You know, it's a surname, uh, which may not be all that unusual in England. I don't know. Huh. So there you go. Cool. Just a little background. Very interesting. Very interesting. I noticed a lettering error around the middle of the book, and it's where Saru is talking to the Orion captain. The hologram he... one. When hologram she's a hologram, one? or when? Uh, I think it's when, when she's, she's the hologram, or the when she's on the screen. When she's physically on the ship. So uh, when they first okay. get onto Discovery, and she's sitting there in the con. And then Saru is saying, oh, you need to know to, to change the air filter in the air conditioner every once in a while. You know, that, that kind of, uh, you know. Right. Here's right. the things you should know since you're, you're in a new ship. He says, Saru says, in order to, for Discovery to function <laughs> effectively, there are several subsystems that must be manually activated. So I think there's an extraneous T-O. Yeah, a few. So it's like in uh, order, yeah. In order for discovery to function, if it, there you go. Yeah, that's that's the way it should have been. Yeah. So there's an extra two in there. Just thought I'd mention it. I mean, in big time, you know, comics like this, you do usually don't, you know, they got editors and people proofread these things to some degree. Right. You usually don't catch those. Those things don't make it through. But in this case, it did it. So, Interesting. Yeah. Cool. You are on it. Uh, I don't, I don't really have anything else. Okay, let me just wrap up saying I thought the Orion rifles were very unique. They look like they basically almost look like squat briefcases with a trigger. So they're really tall for a rifle, and it's basically just a rectangle, you know, with some kind of handle on the bottom and a trigger. And I just thought they, they were show, very interesting. Are they in the show at all? Do they have Orions in season one? Oh, Discovery? Uh, yeah. Did they ever show Orions? Uh, la, 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 la. I don't remember ever seeing an Orion. Maybe. Yeah, I couldn't, but... I couldn't remember. Yeah. I know they showed them in Enterprise. Oh, yeah, they've been showed. Uh, shown. Uh, was it, weren't, didn't they have Orions in Voyager 2? Didn't, uh, or no. Am I mixing up? There was a thing where The Rock was in an episode of Voyager, was he yeah. dressed up as an Orion, or is he just a normal? Yeah, he, he was just a wrestler. Oh, okay. 
He was just a regular. Okay, fine, fine. Anyway, he was a gladiator. Okay, he was a gladiator. Guy. He was an alien yeah. gladiator. That's right. Oh, that's right. He had like face prosthetics or something. Right. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so he wasn't an Orion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. Don't know. I mean, we've seen him pop up uh, in the comic books. So the Star Trek JJ verse ongoing comics. We've seen right, him pop right. up, but I don't remember ever seeing this gun design before. Yeah. No. It, it looks funny. Yeah. Okay. So, on a different note, um, I thought this is story and also all of season two. Do we ever find out who they were supposed to be picking up on Vulcan? Because season one ends with, we're on our way to Vulcan to pick up our new captain, and then, oh, we got to answer a distress call from Enterprise. Right. And then even here, they're like, okay, well, we know who the captain's going to be, but they don't ever tell us. And I don't remember (laughs) them ever telling us in season two that... Oh, yeah, um, I know that Pike takes command, but he never says, eventually it'll go back to so-and-so who right. you were going to pick up on Vulcan. Right. So do we know that? Do we, Have they ever said who it was? I don't be? remember them ever saying that. I do not remember I mean, that at all. I guess it doesn't matter anymore since, no. since obviously that person's not going to take command. Right. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah, well, I guess it's going to be Captain Saru in Season 3, right? I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. I would think. Okay. I got three things to mention quickly, hopefully quickly. All right. The first one is, or actually two things. Oh, can, can I mention something about something I forgot about in the Picard one? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, there's a scene where Beverly is treating him. I think it's at the beginning. Yeah, it's at the beginning of the book. Beverly is actually holding a Taws medical tricorder. And I make me pull out just noticed that now. I did not notice it before. But she's actually using what appears to be a what Bones would have used. So I, I just got to mention that. Okay, but in this one, Tilly goes out of her way to mention uh, when they're in the jail cells on the Orion ship. She says, metal? Who makes ships out of metal anymore? Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, wait, what, what are the ships made out of again? Uh, duranium? Something like that. Um... And isn't that supposed to be a metal? Uranium. That sounds like a metal. I don't know. Uh, so I went ahead and did some searching. And I found a spot where, according to the Next Gen Tech Manual by Rick Steinbach, or Sternbach, and Michael Okuda, the, I guess the Enterprise D, which I know is a different ship, is made of a woven composite material of duranium and tritanium slash titanium alloys. Ooh. So I know that's later in time, but still, even then, they're using uh, titanium is a metal. Right. So, and I'm not sure what tritanium is exactly, but I guess it's something close to titanium. And then I thought duranium was a metal. So, if you use a composite of multiple metals, that makes it no longer a metal. I don't know. I I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is I'm being a nerd who's just pointing out that uh, maybe there's a flaw in Tilly's dialogue. <laughs> well, I think it's... They're obviously trying to make a reference to something, and uh, it, it it went over my head. <laughs> and I think that, that they're trying to be like, you know, in the future, we won't we won't be using our natural resources. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, that kind of thing? They're, they're that's trying to saying? be like... Trying to be like a, a green message or something in the oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I got more like a this Orion ship is a piece of garbage. It's old, and look, they're still using metal. Right, but yeah. they're still raping their planets in order to make this. Oh. Who would do such a thing? Who would do such a well, thing? Hey, we got to make our fuel out of vegetables. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not take it that way at all. Okay, yeah. There you go. Okay, here's my last thing. Um, The first time you see Discovery in this issue, she's in space dock being repaired. And there are seven, seven different shuttles flying around her. And when I first see them, the back of the shuttles are all like bright white light, kind of. And they're yeah. kind of in the shape of the Omega letter, you know, so uh, from Greek uh, 
alphabet. Yep. Definitely. It looks a little bit kind of like an Omega. And when I first saw that, that it was like, what is that? Is that like some kind of a uh, an access ramp or something? I didn't even know what it was. I didn't realize it was a ship, uh, you know, a shuttle. So right. uh, apparently, instead of you know the Galileo Seven, it had little, it had little, two little outboard things that looked like warp nacelles. I don't know whether they were really were or not. But then they also had a, a part in the upper back of the like like the like the main fuselage that looked like some kind of impulse engines or something. So I always thought that was like okay, you got impulse engines, and you got little warp engines. Well, I didn't think it could go warp speed, but whatever. So there's that, and then there's this thing, which is like you the whole back outer edge almost is all engine. I mean, the engine is the light, the bright, the white part, right? Anyway, I was then just, what's it was the, just what's the little round thing in the middle? Is that, well, I think that's that the hatch like... to get into it. Uh, 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 Isn't it? Because it goes in, because it like attaches to the hull, like on Star Trek, oh, the motion picture. Oh, there you go. Okay, I didn't think about that, but yeah. Because don't they get on the, the shuttles from the back uh, still? Or oh, no? yeah, yeah, right. No, you're I right. Don't know. You're um, right. Yeah, I mean, the Galileo 7, you got in on the side, you know, the, the, the hatch that opened up, and, and it, it varies, but anyway, so I thought that was uh, interesting. I didn't know the, the back looked like that. But if I go yeah. back and watch a Discovery episode, I'm sure that's the way they showed it, if, well, if and when they ever showed the back of the ship, but it just kind of threw me a little bit. That's the last thing. That's all I have to say. That's it. I'm done. You're done? I'm done. 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 Um... My only thing is I thought it was kind of lazy writing that it just happened to be the ship Tilly was on. And then, yeah, oh. she didn't she didn't add anything to the story. No, it could have been anybody on that ship. But oh, yeah. they made they made sure that it was Tilly. She's there. You got in touch with her. And then she doesn't do anything except make the comment about uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, yeah. who uses who uses uh, metal anymore? Exactly. That's pretty much what she has to contribute. So, I don't know. I just thought it was weird. And then, why was she on the ship when they come up? I mean, of all the people to be the one person that's on the ship still, it's Tilly, and she's the one at oh. the comms saying, uh, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Why are you even here? You're supposed to be getting fixed. Uh, it's a trick. You know, it was just like, that, that part was really strange to me. So, did she have like a gun to her head or something? Yeah. I'm assuming. Because at the beginning of her conversation, it sounded like, it was, hey, nothing's wrong. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's a trap. It's a trap. Uh, I kept thinking of that, too. <laughs> <sighs> Channeling her Akbar. Channeling her Akbar. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, it That kind of bothered me. That it just seemed random. Right. Yeah, agreed. All okay. right, that's that's all I got. Okay, that's all I got. Right. I ain't got no more. Okay, so what what's next week, Donovan? Oh, I thought I was asking you, kid. Oh, okay. Um, uh, did you I ask can... me? Okay, I can I can I can say. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> well, Donovan, next week we're going to have the absolute bone crushing goodness greatness of getting back to Taws and doing year five. So this is the IDW series. I guess it's ongoing, right? It's ongoing. I don't know how long it's going to be. They've already gone up to like nine issues as of this issue. Uh, very, this recording. So. Very cool. And I've seen some of the covers, but I have not read any of them yet. And actually, you Same sent here. me a cover recently, which was looking really cool. Uh, that's one of the newer issues, yeah, with Chekhov and Chekhov, Chekhov and, and Spock and, 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 and Space... In in, space, on a spacewalk with right. giant rifles? Well, giant rifles. Okay, so, so uh, Chekhov is the only one with a rifle, and he's got the Taz phaser rifle. Thumbs up. Awesomeness right there. And then uh, the Enterprise is in the background. And they look like they're, you know, action guys going into danger or something. Armed to the teeth. And it uh, looks pretty cool. So, yeah, so uh, we're not going to get to that one. So no. you're teasing up something <laughs> we'll probably do way later. There you go. But but, still, uh, but next week we'll just be doing the first three. Sounds great. One, two, and three. Came out uh, April, May, and June of 2019. So fairly recent issues as far as, as the time we're recording. 
I like these little one-offs and maybe five-issue arcs or four-issue story arcs. I like that. But since they stopped making JJ-verse ongoing monthly issues, I I, I love having monthly issues again. Right. That is great. And it's great that we're, we're starting that. Yep. So it gives us something to look forward to. So if it ends on a cliffhanger, who knows when we're going to get to issue four, but we will someday get to it. <laughs> someday. Because cool. we're going to cover all. Isn't that what I say every week? That's not. Yeah, you say that every week, which yeah. is great. It's just uh, daunting, but we've gotten this far, right? Okay, sounds I good. I know, right? 310 episodes. Exactly. Multiplied by three-ish. You know, some add fewer. But that's that's a lot of comic books. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So, should we wrap up? Let's do it. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.